Welcome to Language During Mealtime. Certified speech-language pathologist and children's book author Becca Eisenberg brings you creative professionals from the language learning and children's education field. With these ideas, parents can help their children with special needs improve language and reading abilities. Hi, my name is Becca Eisenberg. Welcome to my podcast, Language During Mealtime, episode number 62. Today, I'll be interviewing Adam and Lauren Black, the authors of Kelly Stays Home and Kelly Goes Back to School. Lauren Black, MD, MPH, is a primary care physician, associate professor at Zucker School of Medicine, and mom of three. She graduated from Yale College, Harvard Medical School, and John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Adam E. Black, PhD, is a health economist, assistant professor of public health at New York Medical College, and father of three. He received his PhD from Harvard and worked in Washington, D.C., helping to draft and implement the Affordable Care Act. Lauren and Adam live on Long Island with their seven-year-old twins, Brandon and Elise, four-year-old Jordan, and Zoe, the most loved dog in the world. To learn more about Lauren and Adam and to check out their books and to also download them, go to kellystayshome.com. So thank you so much today for being here, Lauren and Adam. Thanks, Becca, for having us. Thanks, Becca. Thank you so much. So the first thing I wanted to ask you about was just if you could give, you know, a short summary for people who don't know about your books, um, just to talk about both of them a little bit, to give a short summary and just to talk about what the publication process was like, because, you know, it was really, I know that you had to get these books out pretty quickly because it was very like relevant and time dependent. Um, and, you know, they're just for anyone listening, they're just beautiful books and so well written and so well done. And I think so impressive that you got them done in such a short period of time with also working full time and being home with your kids. <laughs> so I just want to say that it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So, um, so anyway, so if you could go ahead and talk about them, the books. All right. Thanks so much, Becca. So um, we wrote our first book, Kelly Stays Home. Um, in April, and it came out in late May. And so this was to kind of help explain to our kids and then to kids everywhere why their life had changed so much due to the pandemic. You know, we saw that um, we were fortunate to have found ways to adapt our work um, to, you know, being at home, and we were able to still sort of see people in professional settings um, as a doctor, I was, you know, still going in to see people and for our kids, they weren't going to school, they weren't seeing their friends, they weren't even seeing, you know, their grandparents or other relatives. So their life had really closed in a lot. And when we looked for resources that were out there that explained kind of why this was happening, how the virus traveled, how symptoms started, why social distancing and masking and everything that we were asking of our kids you know, really worked to prevent the viral spread, we didn't see much out there. So given our background in science and medicine and public health, we thought this is something that that we can do to get some of this information out there to share with our kids and share with kids everywhere, you know, why um, we're asking everyone to make all these sacrifices um, in order to stop the spread of the virus. 
And so that was our that was our first book, um, and we were you know fortunate that we had great reception not only from kids but also from parents who may have not been in scientific fields who said, "Oh my goodness!" Like I expected to share this with my kids so that so that they would learn something, but I actually ended up learning something myself about herd immunity that I didn't know previously. Um, and as we you know as we stayed home through May and June, and you know kind of went outside a little bit um, into nature over the summer, we saw that language around the pandemic was starting to change. All of a sudden, people were talking about antibody testing and people were talking about plasma donations and different treatments and vaccine development. And we started thinking about um, how our kids would possibly go back to school in September. Um, And so we saw that school would probably look a lot different. And we tried to kind of predict what that would look like. And so that came together in our second book, which came out in late July, which was Kelly Goes Back to School. And the attempt there was to give kids a sense of what the new normal would look like in school. And then again, why all these changes will have been made to their classrooms. So for our kids, they will have, you know, desk shields around their desks. They will be wearing masks. The teachers will be wearing face, face shields and masks. The teachers won't you know, come near them. They will stand six feet apart, even in the hallways, waiting, you know, waiting to leave school. It's going to be a big change for everybody. And so our goal with that was to give them a sense of what school would look like and also why all these changes were necessary in school. And I think Adam can can talk a lot um, more about the publication process. So the publication process was... uh Interesting. Well, I, I think what we knew was that a traditional publication process wasn't going to work for us uh, because you have to go find an agent and then that agent has to go pitch the book. Then you have to go write the book and find an illustrator. And that all takes months or, you know, can be up to a year. And, you know, everything with the virus happened really quickly. And we wanted to get information out there so that kids could really understand way back in April and May what was happening, what had only started happening a few weeks before. So we decided that we were going to go on a self-publication route, uh, really primarily just for speed and also because we thought it was important to get the book out there for free. Um, you can buy it on Amazon. You Google Kelly Stays Home or Kelly Goes Back to School and it's there. But we wanted to make it available uh, for free for everyone if you wanted to download it. So it is available right now for free in a PDF format. You can read it to your kids on your computer. Um, and so what we did was first we went out and looked for an illustrator because while, uh, Lauren and I are okay at writing, uh, the, uh, illustration part was going to be insurmountable for us. We are not artistic at all. So we went, uh, and we looked at a couple of places. Facebook has these great uh, groups for children illustrators. Um, and we looked there and we found a phenomenal illustrator out for sending, um, Part of the deal was that they could not take their time on this. This is something that we needed 30 illustrations in about two weeks. And uh, so we, you know, that was part of the negotiation process with the illustrator. Um, And once we had that, we basically, uh, this is sort of fun. um, If you tell me if I'm going too long on this, but, uh, you know, we submitted to Amazon, Kindle, Kindle Publishing is supposedly the single easiest way to publish. So that was our plan. 
And we submitted to Kindle Publishing, expected to get an email back with a couple, you know, within two days, like they say, and that it was just going to go up on the website and that would be that. However, we didn't get anything back. And then in a week, we, we saw that our book was rejected. And we're like, why on earth was our book rejected? Like, you know, there was nothing. And it turns, and we eventually got through in a phone call to them, and it turns out they were literally rejecting every single book on coronavirus that there was because there were a whole bunch of conspiracy theories out there that were being published through Amazon, and Amazon didn't want to have any of them. Wow. So we, yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a bit of a mess. Um, so we were actually done with the book, and we started promoting it in early April, but we, did, we didn't formally get published until the middle of uh, May. On, it didn't become available on Amazon until the middle of May. Um, so we used a great publisher called Ingram Spark, and they were able to upload the book and in a couple of days get it, make it available both for Kindle and for, uh, you know, publication through Amazon. And that's where it is now uh, via Ingram Spark. And it's like, I mean, and the illustrations are so well done. I mean, I think it really captures kind of, because I, th- I think with kids, you know, it's not, I mean, Obviously, the text is very important, but, you know, for kids kind of visualizing what it's going to be like as far as going back to school, actually, like, having those pictures be so clear and kind of, like, what the expectations are, I think are really important. I think it really captures it because, I mean, I I don't know who was more nervous this year, whether it was my kids or me about going back to school because, you know, it's like, you know, when we go back for the first day of school anyway, it's kind of like, it's kind of nervous, right? You kind of kids are nervous anyway, like meeting their teachers and, you know, seeing, seeing all the kids like after they haven't seen them over the summer, but going back to school during a pandemic is even more nerve wracking, you know? Um, and kind of trying to, even though we've gone through like kind of verbally, we've talked to the kids about, you know, what it's going to look like, what people are going to be wearing and this and that. But I don't think, I think a, your book really um, nails it visually. And whether a child is going back hybrid, whether they're going back every day, it doesn't really matter. I think what kids get anxious about is kind of what it's going to look like. You know what I mean? And I think that's why your book is so important to help prepare kids on what that's going to look like as far as, they, you know, we all know that everyone's going to be wearing a mask, right? But, you know, what I, what I like about your book is that you also incorporate uh, terminology that you have in italics, which I, I really like, you know, words that kids may not know, like contact tracing, you know, that, that let's say like parents may just talk about it, but kids don't really know what it is. And so what I like about it is that you, you know, you kind of put it within this context of really for the kids to understand. So, um, I mean, I, I just think it's fantastically done. And I know, you know, I've written children's books. I know how long the illustrations could take. And the fact that, you know, it was done so well within such a short period of time, it's just really impressive. And as far as also like the formatting, I mean, I just always appreciate that. It's not kind of like one format per page. You have a variety, which I think for the kids, it helps engage them in the story. And I also think for teachers out there, um, using this book, which is great because it's a free resource, right? Um, On your website, being able to, you know, if you are doing just remote teaching, to be able to show this book 
and talk about like what it will be like when the kids go back to school. So I don't think it's just relevant right now. I mean, it could be relevant in like six months from now for school districts that are going back, let's say in January or February or whatever it is. Um, so I, I just, I, I think it's really well done. The next question I have was just about how you, you know, how you kind of incorporated these complex topics and these words. Um, and just what was the process like in kind of like, let's say the two of you sitting down and being like, okay, we want to go over this terminology and just kind of understanding how you embedded it so well in the story. So like viral transmission and contact tracing, you know, how, what was that process like for you when you, when the two of you were writing together? We sat down by the fireplace. We each had a cup of tea and we, uh, you know, we shared a blanket and we sat over one computer <laughs> and we just typed together. We each typed one line each. It's not true at all. <laughs> so we, as, as you know, I imagine lots of, you know, couples and families in the pandemic, right? We are stuck together a lot of hours, right? And so typically, while it would make sense, we would be like talking about this together. Typically, one of us would sort of write a chunk and then like email it to the other person in a different room or even across the couch. Across the couch. <laughs> <laughs> but I you know, I think you talked about sort of like some of this new vocabulary. I think this new vocabulary was new for all of us. You know, I remember the first time that I heard about contact tracing or antibody testing. You know, I even as a even as a healthcare professional, you know, I had to learn what these concepts meant and how to use them appropriately. So it makes sense that our not only our kids, but you know, our neighbors and friends are new to this language as well, because all of us are. So our goal was to sort of introduce this language in a way that it was accessible to people so that it felt like something that kids and teachers and everyone could come together on instead of being something, you know, that could sort of step further separate people. And we were lucky in that we had a, a little focus group of our kids, right, who were sure to tell us anytime something didn't make sense to them. They're like, this word doesn't make sense at all. You have to define it better, right? Or why didn't you include this piece that I heard about in the news? You know, our son said, well, what about the sort of Kawasaki that I remember hearing about in the news a couple of months ago? Like, what, what, where's the page on that? And we're like, oh, okay, I guess we, I guess we should include that. So. Um, we were sort of fortunate to be able to run this by our kids who are in elementary school to see what kind of resonated with them. And to your point, I think the illustrations um, do a great job in taking some of the science and making it, you know, making it sort of come to life. And that's why we chose the illustrator that we did was that she um, is really great at bringing some of this science to life. So just as an, as an example, you know, Kelly is pictured in the book as um, being surrounded by antibodies that look like her. They have like, for like the same hair as her and they have, you know, um, little, little weapons and shields and they are chasing away um, the virus particles, you know? And so when we talk about antibody testing, um, I think it's, it's a nice way, you know, antibodies is sort of a can be an esoteric concept until you can like see it um, with her own antibodies that look like her 
protecting her from the from the invading virus or seeing the viruses who wash your hands kind of go down the thing. You know, our goal was to um, kind of make some of these concepts that are a little bit out of reach for all of us and bring them to life. I, I also just want to note, like, I think what you also included in your book um, was really well done about Maggie's family. Because this is something, this is really let's say, to us. as a parent, like I think, you know, you see everyone kind of has their own kind of perspective or has their own sort of rules on what they're, on what they're doing. Um, and I really like how you incorporated that because I think that comes up with a lot of kids. Well, why aren't we able to do this, but my friend is doing it, you know, yeah, it, or, it, you know, one of the things that comes up, like, well, why can't I have a sleepover? because this person is having a sleepover. Um, and so I think as a parent, that's been hard to explain. Like, oh, well, this is our rule. and That's their rule, you know? But what I, like, what I like about it is that you do it in a way that is not kind of, it's not like, you know, it's a positive way of talking about it. And I think it's a really nice way of talking about it. Because I think for kids, that comes up a lot. You know, so um, just for anyone out there who doesn't know, meaning that um, Kelly has a friend, Maggie, who goes, she goes on a plane and she goes to camp. And um, in the book, she asks, well, why, you know, you know, why can't we be like, well, not be like Maggie's family, but, um, but like, why could Maggie do that? And we can't. Um, so I, I just really like that part in your book that you mentioned that. That's right. There's another family, Eva's family that hasn't gone to the store and wipes down their groceries. And, you know, I, I, the vision for this was that kids are going to be faced, you know, particularly when they go back to school with kids that have done lots more than they have or lots less than they have. And they have to sort of accept that every family is making the best choice that they can for themselves. Um, nobody knows what the exact right thing to do is. Even the, you know, even the top experts in the world, nobody exactly knows. So we're all just doing our best to make a decision that we feel comfortable with. And they, the kids should feel comfortable that, oh, well, my parent says this and therefore it's right. That's not the case. Everybody has to make a different decision. So. And I think especially with the kids going back to school, like in, in our district, we are having a sort of in-person or sort of hybrid in-person option. Um, and then a completely virtual option. And so some of their friends, they will they will see, you know, maybe on the computer, but they won't see in person, um, perhaps for the duration of the year, because their families have made this decision. And people have a lot of, you know, different reasons from, you know, chronically ill family members to living maybe with elderly relatives, um, to just, you know, um, lower risk tolerance for making that decision. And, you know, everyone has to kind of be okay with the fact that each family gets to gets to decide for themselves exactly where they feel most comfortable. Yeah. And I think that just triggers a really nice conversation with your kids about just respecting other people's decisions, right? Like that we don't want to judge other people's decisions. Like we make, you know, we make our own decisions. This is what we think is right. Um, But I just feel like that's a nut. That's a really great way of talking about it. You know, because I just... Yeah, go ahead. Things change over time, right? So like in the spring, we had said, no, we're not going to see the grandparents. And then, you know, over the summer, when the prevalence level came down, you know, when we were able to visit outside, we actually started to see the grandparents. And our right, exactly. Back and said, like what you said, but instead they were like, okay, things change, you know, kids are pretty adaptable. 
as long as you tell them kind of, you know, this is it, this is what's going to happen next. And so, you know, even within a family, I think there's got to be room for, for change and growth over time. And I think if we can help our kids to anticipate that, then it'll, it'll seem hopefully a little bit more normal to them. Exactly. Because I think as parents, we're trying, at least I'm trying to figure it out as we go along too. Because the rules constantly, I mean, not the rules, but things change a lot. And and it's not, you know, one day could be one thing, the next day could be another. So, um, but like you said, kids are adaptable. So just for my my last question was just about any tips for parents um, in transitioning their kids back to school. I mean, do you have any, I I know, you know, I know parents are nervous about it. some people are hesitant, some people, you know, feel really comfortable with it. But as far as like any sort of like carryover tips from the book for parents, I think that would be really helpful. So for our kids, we've thought about this very carefully and we plan to send our children back to school five days a week. Um, That's just our personal decision based on our circumstances. Uh, We expect them to be wearing masks basically all of the time when they're indoors. We wear masks consistently indoors in, uh, obviously not in our own home, but like whenever we are out in basically in public or in somebody else's house. So that is our expectation for them at school and just sort of getting them used to it. And I have to say, we just came back from uh, an outdoor vacation where the kids were uh, rock climbing and there was a, uh, I guess, a counselor that was helping them. And our kids were climbing up rocks and they were wearing masks the entire time. This was a terrifying, they were at like 30 feet. I mean, they were obviously strapped in, but if they can rock climb in masks, then you can basically do anything. Right, right, exactly. I mean, this is one of the things that I've been telling a lot of parents too that I work with is just getting their kids used to wearing masks. Because I mean, you know, we've been wearing masks since March. So like the same thing, I think the, you know, the, the better, the more we get used to it, the more comfortable it is. And I do think it also takes time to kind of figure out what mask works for your kids, you know, cause there are some masks that may be more comfortable than others, you know? So I know for my son, he wears his mask so much that he actually forgets he has it on and he tries to like eat with it. So where you're like, oh, gotta take off your mask. Um, but I think that for parents to start, you know, to start, I know it's back to school and it could be hard. Like I think in the beginning with the kids wearing masks all day, but, um, but you know, the more you practice at home, like let's say, I know, I know a lot of people did over the summer, just wearing masks, the more comfortable it is. Absolutely. I think similarly, you know, we're, we've been trying with all this to teach our kids like, independence as much as possible you know that like you this is something that like you have control over we don't have a control over a lot in our lives these days but like you wearing your mask you washing your hands you know you logging on to your device to start your classes you know we are um our kids are starting school virtually um tomorrow and you know we went over with our kids okay like in the spring we kind of helped you through it this is how you log on from different devices to all the different things that you need to do so that, you know, they can have a little bit of independence, which will allow hopefully us to continue working as they, you know, log on to their school the days that they are virtual. Um, And hopefully, you know, now they're a little bit better at 
kind of Google Meet some of the different components to online school the day that those are the case. And, you know, if we do then need to make the switch at some point from in-person back to virtual, you know, that was something we tried to talk about in the book that none of us know how the next several months will go. But if we can do virtual school, if we can do in-person school, you know, with all the precautions in place, if you can kind of respect that and respect what the school is doing and your teachers and your fellow classmates, then hopefully this will make for a successful scenario, whatever the venue ends up looking like. Right. And I, I just also think for myself as a parent, kind of like just being patient with ourselves and the technology and like you said, just, you know, being patient just overall and like, you know, just being grateful for the teachers um, because there is bumps along the road, you know, we, we had started last week um, and virtual, there's definitely, you know, technology stuff that comes up. So I, I think that um, expecting there to be, you know, some bumps along the road, but not to feel like you can't reach out and ask for help. Um, because I kind of like, I, I love this, like everyone's in it together thing, because I think that, you know, everyone understands that it takes a little bit of time for transition. And I think this year it will take a little bit longer versus kids just starting off school, let's say like in a pre-pandemic, um, you know, it may take like, a, let's say a week or so to get used to the schedule. But for our kids who are, let's just say in a hybrid or, they're even going back full time or they're all remote. It does take a little bit of time to kind of figure out what the schedule is going to be like and to fall into a routine. So I think for myself, I have to like, I was a big, okay, I have to be patient. I have to realize this is like the first day or two. We have to just, you know, see how it goes for the week. Let me figure out like a plan that works for my kids um, and helping to keep the schedule together. Um, so Anyway, but yeah. So is there anything else that you want to add before we finish up today? I think it's a great point about just like sort of being grateful for small things, right? Like, or big things <laughs> or going to school, being with the family, getting to keep learning, you know, getting to go outside, getting to see your friends or whatever form that takes during all of this. And then, you know, to your point um, that we're all in this together, that like it really takes everybody um, trying to do their best in a still difficult and like ever evolving situation. Um, and, you know, acknowledging that there like is some anxiety level on everyone's part, on parents, you know, maybe on kids, um, on teacher and school staff, like everybody is entering the school year a little bit different than any other year. And, you know, that we can all be patient with each other. Um, if not everything goes exactly the way we want it to at every moment, that that's okay. And we will, you know, we will all get through this as a group and we have a little bit more experience and know a little bit more than we did six months ago. And I think that can give us a little bit of reassurance in all this that like in March, we really didn't quite know exactly kind of what we were dealing with or how to prevent this. We know a lot more about, you know, about the spread of the virus, about the symptoms, about the treatment and what works. Um, we're closer to a vaccine. Um, the prevalence, at least here in the New York area, is so much lower than it was. And it, you know, we're we're watching and we know the sources to see any changes that happen. So I think taking some reassurance in the fact that like our schools and our communities have designed things with some of this evidence in mind. Um, and we can, you know, be empowered by having a little bit more information 
to do the right thing for, for our families and for our kids and our kids do the right thing when they're not with us 24 seven, which will be, you know, a blessing when it happens. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was one of the goals of our book exactly is to, is to have everybody feel a little bit more reassured as we send our kids back and as our kids, you know, can I get to go off by themselves again for the first time in, in six months that um, we're all doing the best we can to make sure we all stay together. Well, thank you so much for being on today because I really think that, you know, you, both, both books are such wonderful resources. And I also think you talking today just about, you know, your experience and, and the process in making these books and giving tips for parents is going to be very, very helpful. So not even just for parents, but like I said, for teachers. Um, and there's like just so much language embedded and there's so many great ways to start conversations about it. Um, so I just want to thank you as a parent because I found your books really, really helpful. Thank you. So thank you. I think they're just beautifully done. Um, so, well, thank you so much for being on today. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Listen and learn with us at Language Sharing Mealtime. Mm-hmm.